You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Hi, my name is Nick Schwader, and you're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. This is episode 493. And today I'd very much like to welcome two things. One, we are live on site in Rails World here in Amsterdam. At least I remember the city, like not being like a band in the wrong city, remembering the name wrong. My guest today is the one and only Andrew M. Codes, but believe it or not, his real name is Andrew Mason, as I just learned from his name badge. So there you go. Wait, 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 wait. Nick, we've known each other for a while. You just learned my last name? No, no. Okay. I, was just, I was just making sure. I was like, no, wait. I'm just playing. <laughs> I am happy to be here. Happy to be at Rails World. Happy to be back on this podcast. I think I've done this podcast once before, right? I don't know. I'm yeah, asking probably. you as like, you probably you done know. like 10 times. No, I'm not on every no, show. No. I'm a co-host. Did I say I was co-host? Yes. I'm not no? the host at all. No, not the host, but the co-host. Well, you know what? I've never done this live in my entire career. But before we get into the, the fun stuff, we have a sponsor. So today's show is brought to you by our podcast sponsor, Buzzsprout. If you're looking to start a podcast and you're like, Andrew's so cool, he's just knows podcasts, and you want to get in on that sweet coding podcast life. There's never been a better time, especially in the Ruby world. And we all support each other. So if you want to join that world, use Buzzsprout. They're excellent. They provide the hosting and helping with the promotion and just all the hassle you have to do with running a podcast. I just want to let you in. They put this booth here at Rails World that we're in a professional booth, like it's a proper booth where you hear your voice back to you. We can see the things going on out in the world. We just talked with Tom Rossi who organized this. We might be the first podcast recording here because they wanted a podcast sponsor. I was asking about what to say in the sponsorship and he just said, listen, we're built on rails. Yeah. We just wanted to give back. I'm like, that's what I'll say. That's enough. That's so if you want to use tooling from people who are part of your community and like support them, I think that's fantastic. So thank you, Buzzsprout. Thank you for setting us up. Thank you for being nice to us. And thank you. And there's your like, that the episode is the sponsorship. We'll just keep going about Buzzsprout. Let's do it. So... Andrew, how are you? You know what? I'm doing all right. I'm feeling like a little iffy. I flew across the world. Yes. First time in Europe. I'm very excited to be here. First time in Europe. First time in Europe. Not the first time out of the country. First time in Europe. I am loving it. I'm having a ton of fun in Amsterdam so far. I'm really enjoying the city. I'm enjoying the conference so far. The only complaint I have is a little upset tummy, but apparently that's because of traveling. I didn't know that. Do you have all the things? Imodium, Gaviscon, Pepto-Bismol. I don't know what any of those words mean, but one of my coworkers handed me a pill and I took it. Oh, this is Amsterdam, bro. Yeah, exactly. And I maintain that behavior. (laughs) Find me at a restaurant and hand me a random pill and I'll take it. Do you have enough podcasts? Do you want to start another one? I could go off the rails really quickly with some of this chat. But no, my family business growing up, we were in a rural county and we had the pharmacy. My dad was a pharmacist owner. So I have this part of my brain that's like, what do I require for this adventure? Yeah, so yeah. it's like, you know, Gaviscon, so for like if my tummy, heartburny stuff, and then Prilosec or Meprazole is the drug name. If you know ahead of time, you're going to be hurting yourself. So like three days before, like one of Meprazole a day leading up to the weekend, leading up to going, whether it's like you eat rich food or for people who drink, or if you just drink a lot of black coffee on an empty right. stomach, or I've got a Meprazole for three days. I don't even take ibuprofen. That's good though. Yeah. When I was in America, I took ibuprofen all the time because you can only get 16 of them in the UK at a time. In America, you get 500 for like a yeah, dollar. Yeah. <laughs> if you take 16, it'll be your last headache. But yeah, so I'm just really grateful that we were able to meet for the Amsterdam pharmaceutical podcast. Yeah. 
let's talk about podcasts. I got into this community. I first laid a line of Ruby in March of 2014, and I live very far from any Rubyists. And the way that I was able to stay in the community or feel like a part of it before any of this being anywhere. Yeah. Were these podcasts where a lot of them are out then as well. And I just listened to so many of them and I felt like I got to know these people. And what I'm saying about our conversation here being like fluid is that those were the podcasts I was really drawn to. And I, I think with Remote Ruby as well, is you're just talking and you naturally want to talk about Ruby and Rails and stuff, but it's not forced. And so even if like half the episode is like about personal life or mental health or cooking or just dunking or memes or whatever... That's like, oh, these are just real people like me. And you feel like you get to know them. If you're me, you listen to every podcast back then. You go up to someone and do a really specific reference. They're like, what? People listen to this stuff? I do that very intentionally. I don't think as many other people do. But for me, because I was in the same situation. I was graduating college. Yeah, There were no Rubyists in my city. Like I didn't know anyone writing Ruby except for the few people that worked with me directly. And podcasts were my way to discover the Ruby community. So I know exactly what you're saying. It was like, I felt like I developed relationships with these people. These people didn't know who I was, right? I'm listening to old Ruby rogues, anything I can get my hands on. And I was like, I feel like I know these people. And I wanted to hear about their lives. I wanted to know what was going on. And I want as much as I wanted to hear about the Ruby, but you do feel like you establish a connection with these people, just like your favorite YouTuber, just like that. Oh, yeah. Being on the other end of it is a little weird when there are people coming up to you and they're like, I know everything about you. Yeah. You don't know anything about me. I'm going to talk to you now. Yeah, <laughs> As yeah. someone who is ever since the pandemic has become very socially awkward and anxious. Yeah, because we yeah, definitely didn't socialize as much and maybe didn't before ourselves, right? Like right. now really didn't. Yeah, it's an interesting world. This podcast is an interesting history. It was originally podcast.rubyonrails.org. <laughs> In 2005, David, some may call him DHH, was episode one. Toby Litko was episode two. So it's it's handed through a lot of people. And so like you talk about the history and it's, it's almost like how sports teams, it's like they go through custodianship. Who's the owner now? Right. Who's the owner next? The team stays. Right. And I'm glad that this one is trucked on. I just want to give a mad shout out to Brittany Martin, who's carried it for a long time. A mad shout out to our new host, Elise, and really looking forward to future of this podcast. I'm just happy to support it as a, as a co-host. They did say this room might get warm. I think it is a little warm. Maybe you don't get warm. If I sweat on my forehead, do you promise it won't distract it, you? I am cold natured. Okay. So like I thrive in the warmth. So yeah. It's, do you live somewhere warm? I do live somewhere warm in the <laughs> amazing state of Arizona. It's like, yeah, it's 107. I'm freezing. Woke up the other day and it was 4 a.m. and I was getting some coffee with people who were trade jobs and they were about to go out and their do their jobs for the day and we're all like getting coffee at the gas station and they were like it is freezing and we were all complaining about it and it was 70 degrees jeez fahrenheit so that is warm for most of the country but for arizona when we're used to like in the hundreds where i live now because i grew up in montana which it wasn't as extreme but it's very seasonal right minus 20 in the winter fahrenheit 100 in the summer, maybe 20 days, you know, glasses are steaming up. Now where I live, it only gets above set. This summer, it got above 70 about five days. And this winter, it's not going to really get below 40. We spend so much of our year in this very small, like 45 to 65, 45 to 60, really. But it is interesting if, if you hated the heat. And the cold, I'm in the climate for you. I think there's places that are like that, but a bit warmer. Like Bermuda is probably like 70 all the time. But it's so weird because we're farther north than most all Canadians by a mile. We're like Edmonton level. 
I never really thought about that. You're right. You are, aren't you? Parts of it. You're, you're like Africa level longitude. You're not Europe, right? Like, so you think of like Italy's roast and you're like further south than that. Yeah. You're blowing my mind right now. This is my, you know, everyone has their topic. Yeah. A very diverse community with mental health and like how we are and neurodivergence. I also think that we all have that topic that we can just get really mm. hyper-focused on. And I ask people, what would be your topic? And mine's probably either coordinates or units of measure. Like if you and I are out at dinner and you bring up that topic, it's like, sorry, Andrew, you don't, you're not going to talk now. I'm going to have to bring that up sometime. It's the Schwaz show. The Schwaz show. Uh, so we had a, a keynote this morning. We did. That's the first thing we've seen. Were you in there for it? I was in there for most of it. I... I had to get ready for the show, right? Yeah, get yeah. Back, I had to, makeup I had to go to the restroom and go do my vocal exercises to the mirror, warm up my lungs. So I took a screenshot. There's a few things. So for those who haven't seen it yet, David talked about a lot of stuff that's getting built. The last 20 years of Rails, there's a few interesting, I don't even think it was a joke, but talking about how a loose economy with lots of money in it and the cost of bad technical decisions when there's lots of money available versus when it's like a harder time. Like right now, he actually went and talked about interest rates. I'm like, whoa, that's quite off track to talk about interest rates. But he's kind of aligning that to where the interest rate kind of reflects, is there a glut of money? And our industry is very affected by this. If there's a lot of cash laying around, VCs and showed like when all these technologies came out during the low interest rate times. But Something he didn't say that I was thinking of is I'm like, well, yeah, I guess when there's a surplus of money and everyone's trying to attract, there's such an incentive to be on the new thing that's not been around, even for the sake of being new. Because if every cool startup in these five industries is Rails, like, oh, but I'm going to be the cool new startup on React. I'm not, I'm not dunking on React. I'm just saying like something that is no better or a bit worse or a bit better is more attractive in a glut economy. Yeah. Because you're like, hey, look, we're new. But now it's like, hey, we can survive. Just being on newer technology in general will attract more engineers as well. I work at Podia. Part of the reason that I came in was to start doing a lot more turbo. And so really? over the past year, I have added a ton of turbo to the app. We've made some really cool features, some really cool product initiative. But I would not have been interested in joining them if they're like, hey, by the way, we got this Rails 4 app. It's really yeah. churning along because I've worked on a Rails 4 app before and I was like, I will never do this again. I will never work for a company that cares about their technology like this again. Yeah. That's interesting to bring up Turbo because I've used it at Shopify. I, ooh, I try to not talk about what our tech is. It's like everything's Turbo and Hotwire only. We're only on this tech, you know. But no, so obviously we're a big company. There's a lot of things going on. The way that I sometimes explore things is we're big enough. I'll just search through our organizational code. How are other people at my job doing it? And then mm-hmm. I can ping them if I have a question, you know, find, try and find an idiomatic or things that are common. A year or two ago, I did a little hack days thing, like just trying to learn basics. And the thing that I really enjoyed about Turbo, or I'll just say Hotwire in general, is yeah. it, it felt like it was for me. Mm-hmm. And this might be a challenge for it because like the people who are really passionate about front end probably already have their thing in their way. And then the people who would really benefit from Hotwire, maybe you're trying to avoid front end. That felt so natural when I explored it. It was like, all right, I'm just going to slap down a turbo frame tag. Ooh, that's nice. And then, oh, now I'm going to slap down turbo stream. Now I'm going to slap down a broadcast. You know, I'm doing it ERB, right? Right. And everything felt really natural. Maybe there's another way you do it, by the way. I don't know. I've only done a few features using it, but I want to use it more. And 
I just remember I was around for long enough that I felt like there's this intelligence or difficulty or pain with things that were reactive or cool on a web page that wasn't a full page reload. Yeah. Is there something today talked about called Turbo Morph? Is that not out yet? I left right when they started talking about that. Before Turbo was released in the state that it's in now, Nate Hopkins and I were working on a library called Stimulus Reflex and Cable Ready. That's right. And I have since stepped away from working on that project, but our goal in the very beginning was this type of reactive thing where we did not want to write JavaScript. And I'm not going to dunk on JavaScript. I'm not going to dunk on React. No. I have very strong feelings about both of them. But the whole point, though, was like, we are Rails developers. We want to move faster. We were working at a small startup, and we were the main two developers at the time. So it was like, we need to move fast. We need to move quickly. And we don't want to write a ton of JavaScript. These reactive elements, we need this reactivity. One of the big things that we did early on was this idea of morphing where you take a very small subset of the page basically and change that instead of bigger ideas like these turbo frames and these things like that, they're like a bigger encapsulation. But when you take this idea of a morph, you can bring it down much, much smaller to the idea of like just flipping out like even a CSS class could be a morph. Whoa. But it's like the morph I think is basically, if I remember correctly, this might not be exactly correct, but if I remember correctly, there was a library called Morphdom that we were using for Stimulus Reflex. And I think Since then, there has been another library that the Alpine people are using that is a little bit better. But the entire idea was like taking the version of the page with the new version of the page and then slapping them together. And that was like the morph. It was like morphing them together and to be the same page by doing these very small incremental changes. But by knowing what the new and the old were supposed to look like, that's how you could tell that there was a a change needed to take place. That's really cool. I think you and I are going to need to pair. Yeah. And like maybe dig into some of the stuff because some of the talks here are in this space. And it's and again, I'm saying as somebody who doesn't hasn't spent as much time or energy in your contributions and community work and your professional work, I think there's a lot of people here who can have these conversations with Marco Roth's doing modern rails with Hotwire mm-hmm. every day, you know, like kind of right. just like, hey, here's how you can sprinkle this awesome stuff in. And then to the keynote that we saw this morning, there's talk about stuff that, that we've probably heard of, but there's a Import maps, prop shaft, Turbo 8, Turbo Native, Solid Queue for jobs, which is interesting. Mission Control, don't know what that is, but Kamal. Like another theme that I got is like this, like back to the future. Let's blast from the past. The past is great because there are things that I think can be better and old or change like over time. So one example I can give is. Why the Lucky Stiff wrote Shoes RB, which let you write desktop apps in Ruby in 2007. This is a project that I have an open source implementation I'm working on called Scarpe. And it's somehow renaissance again, because when he wrote it, it was actually incredibly difficult to write something that would work in three platforms from one file. Oh, that's as hard. So he had to write by hand the Mac and Linux and Windows packaging setup for right. by hand. He had to know all those things. And then now it's like, Electron's even old news. It's like, hey, here's some web view. Do you know HTML? All right, we can do all that for you if you can just like speak to us in HTML. So some of these other concepts are like Kamal doing things on your own hardware. The other thing DHH said about was like having the one person framework. So this idea of, I think it's so exciting because obviously I work at a, a little bigger organization than one person, but I love this idea that you or I could sit down with our laptop in the in a corner here and just make something happen. And things are still modernizing and kind of improving for that, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Thanks to Honey Badger, I have all kinds of sources to back what I'm about to say next. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime certainly should not be one of them. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute that you're down. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which of course helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thanks to Honey Badger for supporting the show. The import map thing still bothers me. Tell me why. I need to know this because you know better than me. I don't know better than you. You do now. We did an episode on Ruby with Connor Rogers diving more in depth of this. But my entire thing from the very beginning is like import map is not something I would ever use in production. So explain to me why. Uh, By the way, if you're listening, this is part of the discussion. Like, I think we need to not just be the Ruby on Rails podcast endorse, you know, like if there's a genuine concern with it. I endorse everything DHH says. Oh, well, no, I just meant from, from the, I just meant happens in the framework. No, yeah, not, it wasn't yeah. name dropping. Anyway. <laughs> I appreciate that there are some challenges with certain subjects and I'm just talking about other things. Honestly, import maps, some of the stuff he talks about for with these, these things and with the web, I'm not sitting here reading blog posts about what's new in Chrome next year that we can leverage. So when I'm told something new is coming out in Chrome and that all the browsers have it and that we can leverage it and it's great. I don't have enough knowledge or context to be able to push back or be critical unless I go and try and dig that up myself or work in that space where it's like, so I'm not sitting here. I will talk about Redis in a minute because that's maybe a bit closer, but import maps. So what could be better? What do you lose? What frustrates you? What do you think lack of stability or something? Or is it a performance thing? or Or is it experience for you thing? It's touted as being like this, like, oh, this is a super easy solution and it just works and it's just awesome. And there's no downside to it whatsoever. Like you can run your production app and serve billions and millions of customers on this. And that's just not true. The support for it has gotten a lot better. So I'll give them that. When it first came out, the support wasn't as good. The support has gotten better. It's still not supported in all browsers, though. Internet Explorer? No. No, surely not. But... It's supported by the important ones, quote unquote. However, we've decided that we have three important browsers, but... I didn't see Schwad browser on that list. No, and I didn't see the browser that I wrote up in high school on there either. So so I'm trying to remember all the things that I have problems with about import maps and I can't grasp them all. There's a great Ruby episode with Connor Rogers where we talk about it, so... Okay, well, we'll we'll spin that up. Oh, Connor Rogers. Yeah, Connor would know. Yeah, Connor is great and great resource for that. There's just some things. I'll maybe do one more topic about the keynote and then we'll go way off the rails. I liked that it started with what's happening in the browser. So what's happening in the web in the, in the world that everyone has to accept in that ecosystem because the browsers are where it happens and then drawing it back to the framework. Another one is Jim Wyrick talked about in a RubyConf talk in like 2008 or 2009 clock speed or whatever, like how fast is that disk spinning? Or maybe this was for CPUs or whatever, like the speed at which computing was going. And it started out quite exponential, but we were reaching like a physical limit. And this is where we went into the world of multiple cores. So this is like where we get to think about hardware. And he was saying, now we're in a world where computers will ship with more than one core. 
Right. And now he what, got a 16 core thing and whatever. Like but he was talking about this. It's like, if you want something to be really fast, you will have to think of ways to write your Ruby on more than one core and thread safety and parallel and stuff and stuff that seems quite old hat to us. But this was like observing the hardware, seeing what was coming down the line and be like multiple computers in a computer kind of. And similar to that, there was a hardware discussion today about in 2009, the average, I don't know if it was max, maybe is max read speed from solid storage from storage was 100 megabytes a second. And it showed over time that we're now at like 10,000 megabytes a second. So 10 gigs a second. And what that means and that we actually can't ignore that is talking about caching. I'll talk about Redis in a second, but let's talk about like for caching. We're like, well, memory, 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 obviously RAM, 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 can't do a storage. And then now the state where I said, obviously memory is still faster, but he's showing for caching in Rails, at least at Basecamp, it was like 0.8 millisecond write for memory and like 1.2 or 1.6 for storage. I'm like, oh, for a lot of apps, that is not an important difference, depending on what you're doing. For some, it is a huge difference right. for a lot. And I'm like, oh, so, so he's talking about this idea of, but with storage, you can have lots and lots of it and you can have it available, they do 60 days, but you could do like months, maybe years. And what that did to switch from memory to storage for the 95th percentile performance was a huge boon because that's where a lot of your problems happen or things that are busted and slowed and have to reload. Because listen, I love sprinkling those fragment caches. In the yeah. Oh yeah, Sprink Aaron Patterson made a joke with this. Just sprinkle the Russian doll cachings. And so like, that's how you get all your performance. And also that Redis was helping with the problem of like, you know, 100 megabyte a second speed. So yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that bit or if you were the, in there for that part. Was not but, there for that part. Yeah, so no, it's, it's interesting because we talk about Redis a lot, work and stuff. Definitely there's a feeling of Redis is, may have been treated like a panacea and like, yeah, Redis, Redis, Redis. To now it's like, make sure you fully understand why you're using Redis and what you're using it for. Maybe you're just layering something on top of it and caching with it. That's pretty much everything I have for the thing. I, I wonder, we have Aaron Patterson speaking at this conference. I would love to see if there's some callbacks, little few puns, a few yeah, jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that used to be like one of my favorite parts about the RailsConf when DHS used to speak at those where he would make comments in his opening keynote and then Aaron would like kind of piggyback off of some of those in the closing keynote. <laughs> Rails 5, like Aaron did like a $5 foot long. Yeah. Five, because apparently DHS just kept going five, five, five. It's like $5 foot long, but yeah. So for this conference, are there any talks you're looking forward to? Or are you, I think we've talked the hallway track as they call it being here, being around 700 other Rubyists is quite a big thing too. Right. right. I have gone through phases. Like in the beginning, it was all talks have to be every talk. Oh, for sure. For sure. Lately, it's been no talks. <laughs> so That's I've kind of, okay. I've kind of okay. swung the extreme a little bit. I'm trying to swing it right back in the middle where it's like, okay, I can do stuff like this because like I come to these things to like hang out with people and to like learn new things and have yes. experiences yes. with people and get to see new countries. I don't come here to listen. Like I don't come here just to hear the technical talks. And in fact, that's probably like lowest on the priority list because you can hear them when they're recorded. You can hear them elsewhere, but I come here for the experience part of it. I think that's why you should come to the conference the atmosphere and the people. And I am very much excited for any talk related to 
Estrada, Hotwire, Turbo. Yes. All of that stuff. I'm not really as interested in the soft skills talks anymore. I think I've gotten over those as the Nothing against them, but like some no, people really fine. prefer them. Some people not. And yeah. I think, what is the phrase? I'm not here to yuck someone else's yum. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, they better not yum my yuck. I yeah. Guess. Well, I think that's what's great about knowing that like I have the opportunity. I have the freedom like, I'm not really interested in these soft skill talks, but I'm very interested in these hardcore technical talks. So like, yeah. you'll find me at those. And for the other ones, you might find me in the hallway. It just kind of just depends. And I think with traveling, I always would, for a conference that was more than a day, and if there's like at least five or six sessions in a day, I would have one and like nearly just go to my room. Yeah, for one. yeah, yeah, 100%. And like not even sleep necessarily, but just stare. Honestly, the rejuvenation. Just look at my phone or just lay, stare at yeah. the ceiling, cool off. Because we're going to be talking all day. We'll be talking all night. At the end of every day, like my voice starts to go. I'm like, do I have an illness? No, it's just like stop talking yeah. for an hour. Yeah. But no, so that's good. Well, I'm going to just even say this on air. I'd love to get 10 to 15 minutes of your time, even though I'm stealing your time right now, to just talk about vanilla turbo. Yeah. Because if, if you've spent time with it, there's a few things I'd like to show you and get your thoughts on, like yeah. how you think of boring idiomatic turbo, kind of like boring idiomatic rails. You'll have to let me steal a couple more minutes of your time later. 100%. Or we'll just whip out the laptop here and you can just hear us talk. <laughs> just hear the laptop so what's that? Clicking. What's that? Yeah. So the line reads, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm here for work, which is very fortunate because a lot of places, even where, where I'm, you know, it's not 2021 anymore. I'm conscious while I'm here to make sure I'm meeting with folks and like interacting with some of our community facing stuff and talking about things that we work on. I'm particularly interested in Rails upgrades and Ruby upgrades for normal-sized Rails apps and normal-sized Ruby apps and how that process can be as good as possible. be really interested to see if there's things that we could actually have community-facing even in that. Mm -hmm. I was hacking with Scott Yang on my team this week. This was like open-source hacking, so I'm allowed to say, for Rails 7.1, for autocorrectors for deprecations. Nice. So you know when you get when you, yeah, you yeah, up, yeah. set Rail Seven One's out. We didn't even say that Rail Seven One is dropped today. You know when you upgrade and you're like, sweet, I'm done. And I like, there's the way you should do it. You should update your config defaults. You should, you know, do the bundle, the gem update, and then the app update, and then all the. You don't even know it's Thor, but yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, with the Thor things, and then and this is like what we're trying to kind of improve. But then when you think you're done, you run your test. <laughs> all these deprecations, broken. all these, or even if it's running, all these deprecation warnings. Yeah. So I was working with Scott on, it's just going to be a collection of Rubicops because it has mm -hmm. autocorrecting functionality. By the way, this is not a Shopify thing. This is just the thing I'm hacking on is an idea for the community. So if anyone from work or a community is listening, please do not infer that I'm representing this organization. This is a Schwad moment. But someone at work, we were just hacking on while we were here. It's like, yeah, there's about 80 new deprecations. And a lot of them are autocorrectable. It'd be so cool if we could just give somebody a command you run and you're done. Or some of them you do have to think about and like make a decision for this right. deprecation. But it'd be really cool if people could just run a Rubicop and, and be done with that. I just, something that I agonize about that sounds really boring. But Robbie Russell's here. He does a lot of work with Rails upgrades. I don't know if Ernesto Tag Worker's here, but he does a lot of work with upgrading. And those are the people. I've written a custom cop to autocorrect something like that. Yep. and. I borrowed most of the code out of GitLab. That's where I got the original idea for it. But it was kind of magical to like run this thing. And I think it was for a Ruby upgrade. And I was like, this should be autocorrectable, but there's no way to autocorrect it. And so I just ran, I just kept running like 
finding this way, I was like, there has to be a way to autocorrect this. And I found that you could create these custom cops and it would work. So I dug through some code and read some code and I got that working and it worked pretty well. No, this is the way, because like along with what you said, I just flipped my laptop towards Andrew. My theory here was most of these deprecations I could talk about in English. And RuboCop is a very known DSL. Yeah, it's, it's very, very configurable. Very researched, very, a lot of history with it over 10 odd years. So my experiment with this, with Scott, was I want to do ChatGPT-driven cop development. I think this is so known by ChatGPT, and I don't on send, node, matcher, yeah, yeah, what yeah. does it look like? Test it. And it used to be like I'd iterate on it, but I'm like, wait, what if I just describe it to it and it has so much, it's such an old, well-read thing. So once we got it set up and like, okay, we know how to run a new cop, we were like, all right, let's find the ones that are just delete this thing. Yeah. All right, now let's find the ones that are replace this with this. And even complex ones like show exception, action view show exception equals true or equals false. Now it needs to be equals all or equals none mm. or equals rescuable. So that's not quite the same. It's a swap. And I was able to just write in English and keep the thread going like, great, now that you've done that, it knows what it's doing. Do this, do this, do this. And by the end, we were doing, like we ran out of time, but I think we were writing three an hour each. Nice. And they were working and we were testing them and like we test them manually each. And I'm like, cool, we could maybe get a good 30 or 40 of them done. Other thing I wanted to do with open source as well is to share it with the community. And by the way, I'm not saying ChatGPT is a cure-all. I'm really interested in like keeping my mind open to using English as a programming language when I can. Like if I can be very, I write into this thing like I'm talking to you. Like, yeah. like it's Andrew Mason in my room, but in his brain is hooked up all the internet before 2021. So Andrew, I'm a Ruby developer. Sorry, maybe you don't know me this scenario. And I'm working and I, I have a teammate who likes idiomatic code. I'd like what ThoughtBot was writing in the 2000s, you know, that kind of code. And I just think it's pretty good, but could you, is this, am I missing any idioms here? Can we have a conversation? You know, like, as opposed to, I see some people when it's fine, just like copy pasting doesn't work, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what you put into it. Yeah. I've done some things like that, like really kind of engineer it to give you like a certain type of code or I have a prompt that's like, I want you to, your mats, you, yes. you write the greatest Ruby code of all time. And I have some questions for you. So like, you know, you can build up these prompts and I'll have to get into that. That's a whole nother topic. That's amazing. Well, Andrew, it feels like we've been here for about seven minutes. It really does. It feels like we just the sat down. The clock says 40, That's but insanity. we were talking for like 10 before, and we were like, oh, we're going to miss some good, sweet stuff, so we better start recording. Sweet off the hip. But honestly, dude, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. You can <laughs> please Always. come on anytime. In IRL, I've done like two with you, but there'd be other people, so it's kind of nice as just us. We'll have to find, I'd happily do this again any day. Or maybe we should just chat more. Yeah, yeah. People. Maybe we just need to hang out more. And you don't get to listen. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I've been your co-host, Nick Schroeder, here at Rails World 2023 Amsterdam with the illustrious Andrew Mason. Thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Anytime. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.